5: podcast
7: happy tuesday another primary day not that it is is impactful as some of the other ones it's the sean hannity show write down our toll-free telephone number you want to be a part of this extravaganza it's 800-941 sean it's a simple call love to have you now on itunes by the way i just heard recently if uh, you want to download the show at any point glad to hear that i don't think it costs anything does it it's free i hope I don't know. I don't know anything about this stuff. I really don't. I pay as little attention. I even need my kids to download apps for me because I don't know how to do it. I'm that pathetic. It's that bad. You know, there's a story today in The American Thinker. The Republican Party died long before Trump. And I was thinking about that, and I said, yeah, that kind of represents why we are where we are today, and that is... You know, Republicans, it goes back to my same arguments. I'm not going to repeat them all here, but they're weak, they're timid, they're feckless, they're lacking vision, they increased the debt, they didn't stop Obamacare, they didn't stop executive amnesty, and and now here we are. And as I said on the air the other day, I, I am not going to spend every hour of every show between now and Election Day trying to convince anybody who they should vote for in this election. But I will say this to you. This election is... Infinitely winnable. I don't have a crystal ball. I know in my heart and in my mind, I believe that if the question is, do you think you are better off than you were eight years ago, then the answer is simple you're not. We've doubled the debt. We have one in four families that don't have a single member in the labor force right now. No job at all. None whatsoever. You've got an article out today about the CBO. Nearly one in six men in the US aged eighteen to thirty four, young men, are either jobless or incarcerated. I mean, it is striking the amount of of depression that exists in this country and sadness and hopelessness and misery, and all of which can be tied back to big government socialist statist policies that haven't lifted anybody out of poverty, hasn't been given a ladder of opportunity to anybody either. So, you know, people can live in the past and and we can argue from now until November what happened in the primary and talk about the Republican Party. But I'm I'm moving forward. If you want to come with me and try and win, then let's go. Let's get our act together because there's a lot to do between now and November. And just like I warned you that the primary process would go by very, very quickly. I warn you yet again that this process, this time between now and November is going to fly by. Next thing you know, it's the summer. Next thing you know, it's the fall. It's Labor Day. Then it begins in earnest. Then you've got your presidential debates. You're going to have this summer. You'll have your conventions in July. The 18th is the Republican convention in Ohio. And then in Philly, the week after, it's the Democratic Party convention. You're going to have a lot happening between now and then. And the stakes, I think, are extremely high. And I have some recommendations. And I want to lay out what I think is a winning formula. Now, here's where we start today. You better buckle up. We have Quinnipiac University, a new survey out today, and it shows that Donald Trump is more than within striking distance to beat Hillary Clinton in three extremely important states. Now, in Florida, Clinton is up by one point, 43 to 42, a statistical dead heat. Trump is leading among men, 49 to 36, Independent Florida voters are split thirty nine thirty nine. While along racial lines, white voters said they would vote for the Republican candidate fifty-two thirty-three, non white sixty three to twenty said they'd vote for the Democrat. Clinton's favorability in Florida is a net negative twenty points, though Trump earned nearly the same numbers. In Ohio, Trump is leading forty three to thirty-nine in the same Quinnipiac poll. And if you look at that state and break down the numbers, uh, 49% uh, percent to 32% of white voters go to the Republican candidate, 76-14. Non-white voters said they'd go for the Democratic candidate. Among voters ages 18 to 34, Clinton leads 43 to 39. Voters older than 65 prefer Trump, 46-40. Independents, 40% say they'd back Trump, 37% would go for Clinton. In Pennsylvania, same story as Florida, 43-42. It is a dead heat and among women, Clinton leads 51-32. Trump leads men fifty-four thirty-three. Clinton holds a seven-point lead among voters ages 18 to 34. Here's the question I have for the young people. Are you better off than you were eight years ago? Where are the jobs? How many kids 18 to 34? One in six young men 18 to 34 are either jobless or incarcerated. A lot of good those Obama policies have done for you. And do, does, do we need another four years of record-setting debt, record-setting joblessness, record millions more in poverty and on unemployment? Because that's what you get with Obama. That's what you'll get with Hillary. So this race is winnable. That's how I interpret this. Now, I understand, I don't. I, you know, at this point, I know Paul Ryan has his big meeting with, with Trump on Thursday. To me, it's irrelevant. I'm moving forward. You know, I know that Paul Ryan declared that, The United States cannot turn away hundreds of thousands of Islamist migrants now being approved for visas to enter the U.S. Well, I'm sorry, but Speaker Ryan, I'm standing with the National Director of Intelligence, Clapper, and I'm standing with James Comey, and I'm standing with General John Allen, Obama's envoy to defeat ISIS, and I'm standing with the House Homeland Security Chairman, and I'm standing with the Assistant FBI Director, all of whom in some way, shape, matter, or form have said that ISIS will infiltrate the refugee population. So I don't know what he wants from Trump. I don't really care what he wants from Trump. I don't care if people, if you don't want to get on board and you want to stay out of it or you want to be never Trump, then go be never Trump. Never Trump yourself all day long. I am going to try my best to see that Hillary doesn't become president because to me it's a continuation of a disastrous four years. Now there's certain things that I would like to see candidate Trump do to help to help maybe some people on the fence realize how serious he is about getting a team together to fix the many problems that we have. And if anybody at the Trump campaign feels like listening to me, I'll be glad to offer my suggestions. One of my biggest suggestions is that if you look at some of these successful conservative governors that took high unemployment rates and created hundreds of thousands of jobs and took record deficits and and turned them into record surpluses, I think they showed that conservatism and conservative principles, when applied, actually work. And that means governors like Rick Perry. Rick Perry created single-handedly more jobs in America than the other 49 states combined. He knows how to do it. And the same with Rick Scott in Florida. The same with Bobby Jindal in Louisiana. Uh, the same with John Kasich and Scott Walker. These guys got that job done. I'd recommend bringing some of these people on board, announcing it before November at some point, and saying, well, this is going to be my House Homeland Security Secretary. Maybe that should go to Rudy Giuliani. This is going to be my Attorney General. It looks like it's going to be Chris Christie, who was a pretty tough prosecutor. And uh, Ben Carson for Health and Human Services Secretary. Who's going to be your Defense Secretary? Who's going to be your Vice President? Who's going to be Secretary of State? You know, you've got senators like Rubio and Cruz out there and available. They are the outsiders. They are the best of the bunch. And you can tap into these resources and build a team of rivals so that America knows exactly what it's getting. If, in fact, they give Republicans another shot, even though 60 percent of Republicans in these polls feel betrayed by the Republican Party. And the next thing I would do, and I've recommended this now for years because people don't trust Republicans anymore, you're going to have to do a lot to persuade them you mean what the hell it is you're saying. And that means it's time for promises to America. It's time for a contract with America. I don't care what you call it. You're going to balance the budget. You're going to live within your means. We're going to stop robbing future generations. You can say you're going to build the wall. You can say you're going to rebuild our military and protect American veterans that have been getting screwed. There's three points. You know, you can talk about abolishing Obamacare, health care savings accounts as a replacement, eliminating Common Core, sending education back to the states. Uh, You can talk about, you know, any number of things, preserving and protecting the Second Amendment, what a judicial philosophy would be like, giving people a list of names, which which Donald Trump said he's going to do. And that is a list of names of potential candidates for the Supreme Court and what his judicial philosophy is. You notice I'm not talking about the 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 backroom deals and everybody's hurt feelings anymore. I don't care. I don't care. The people have spoken at this point and the people have spoken in record numbers. And that's who they wanted as their nominee. And that's who they got. Now I'm trying to figure out a way to win and I'm trying a way to figure out what well, we'll want to stop the bleeding, which is the country. The country is bleeding jobs. It's bleeding suffering. It's caused by big government. It's caused by status. And they're offering more of the same in probably even a worse fashion than Obama via Hillary Clinton. You know, and we now know, I'll get into this later, the lies, outright lies to sell you on this Iranian deal. America doesn't project any strength around the world. We need somebody that has the intestinal fortitude to battle isis it's certainly not going to be hillary she wasn't there for the 3 a.m call she had no problem lying to us about what happened in benghazi lying about a youtube video while simultaneously telling her own daughter and telling the libyan uh president and the egyptian prime minister that it was a terrorist attack telling us it's a youtube video
8: what difference I'm sick of, at this point does it makes make... a big
7: difference so my suggestions here are simple I don't think it's that complicated to get the country on the right course. There are certain fundamental basic principles that if you apply them, they will work under any circumstances. Living within your means is pretty simple and not that complicated. A list of justices in the vein of Scalia and Thomas should reassure conservatives that the Supreme Court which is going to be impacted by the next president for generations is, is not going to slant to the left and destroy the inner core of our society. You know, it's not that hard to have a principle of energy independence. It's not that hard. If you say you're going to build the wall to build the wall, it's not that hard. If, if our intelligence officials are saying that ISIS will infiltrate a population coming into this country to say no. It's not that hard to get government out of the educational business considering we spend more per capita and have the results that are, that are literally like 35th. It's not that hard to fix a lot of these things. To fix the VA is only going to require some tender, loving care and oversight that we fulfill a promise made to America's veterans. A commitment to rebuild our defenses as a means of preventing conflict and war, is a commitment that I would think conservatives would sign on to. And putting the team together, I think we had probably the strongest slate of candidates that I have seen in my lifetime. So I know a lot of you may be angry and upset and want to wallow in in the primary process. I'm done with that. I'm moving forward with the hopes that we don't get a third Obama term via Hillary. I'm hoping that we can literally begin the process of undoing the great damage that Obama has done. I'm hoping that Republicans will read these polls carefully on how they betrayed their own base and their own party and that they'd be willing to now put commitments in writing you know, everyone's, wow, I'm so worried down ticket. What's going to happen to the governors and the senators and the congressmen? Well, we don't know. But maybe as a means of reconciling with that base that feels betrayed, maybe you should put your promises on paper and take a little pen and sign your, your name to it. And then push hard to follow through on the promises you make. That would be a good start. So that's where my head is at today. I want to win. I don't want to lose. I want America to right its wrongs, correct its injustices. I want Americans out of the labor force to get back to work. Out of poverty to have a ladder up, on food stamps to have a ladder up. I want people that are one paycheck away from devastation to get some security in their lives, and I want opportunity to abound. I want to stop robbing our kids. I want to stop begging countries that hate us for the for the energy that is the lifeblood of our economy. I want to take care of our veterans. I want a strong national defense. I want the wall built. I want a declaration of war against ISIS. I don't think there's one darn thing I have said here that is controversial. Why can't the party unite on that? They're debating in the Kremlin whether to release tens of thousands of emails that they hacked off a Clinton server. It's just hilarious. Well, let's see if they're about yoga, about a wedding, a funeral, and conversations with a person that doesn't email. That'd be interesting to find out. Hillary also, this was in the Weekly Standard, she came out briefly, came into contact briefly with the real world the other day. One of her supporters actually asked her why Obamacare had doubled its health care premiums. And Clinton was dumbfounded by the question. And insisted there had to be some mitigating circumstances to explain this staggering increase. What world is she living in that she hasn't driven a car in 30 years and has no idea what, what people are suffering under with Obamacare? I went state by state on this program. Hillary, you need to listen how much the increases were going to be and how exorbitant they were. And how we now know with United pulling out and all these other health care providers pulling out that Obamacare is crashing of its own weight. How does she not know that either? You know, the mitigating circumstance in this particular case is that American voters made the mistake of electing a lying socialist for their president. And it seems she, too, bought into the propaganda and hype. Anyway, so she acted stunned. A small business owner told her that the cost of her health insurance had increased nearly twofold. A four hundred dollar increase, assuming you didn't have some terrible health care event, which it sound doesn't sound like you did, Clinton said. I I don't understand. She said, I, I have no idea. I have no I don't know. I can't explain it. I've seen our health insurance for my family go up five hundred dollars a month the last two years, the voter said. We went from four hundred and something to nine hundred and something, and we just keep we're just fighting to keep the benefits for ourselves. Then Clinton offered numerous solutions but avoided to address the problem. Wow. You know what? That is what's going to make a big difference in this election year. That is going to be a game changer. Keep your, keep your plan. Keep your doctor. Save on average $2,500 per family per year. Let me give you another example. Then we got lied to about Benghazi. And we got lied to this. I I don't know how many of you I meant to talk about this last week, never did. But it's becoming a bigger issue now. There is, you know, and this ought to go into the minds. Think about this, all of you that maybe are either thinking of sitting out this election or you have painted yourself in a corner that you're never going to vote for the Republican nominee besides naming. Supreme Court justices and besides naming perhaps a team of rivals and besides maybe laying out a contract with America, you know, things can dramatically change that could could alter your thinking here. So I would urge all of you to keep an open mind, although, again, I am not going to spend any time persuading anybody. What they ought to do in this election, you know, my producer said to me the other night, why don't we invite Ben Sasson and you and him can go at it over Trump, never Trump. I said, I don't want to waste my time. I'm not in the business of convincing Ben Sass, who it seems to me is plotting and scheming his own run for the presidency, what he wants, what he wants to do in this election. He doesn't want to vote for Trump and stay home. I will vote for Trump. I'm not voting for Hillary and I'm not staying home. And I am encouraging some solid conservative solutions. And I don't think the voters deserve to be screwed by the same establishment people that caused the insurgency in the first place, which is what they're plotting and scheming and planning to do. Here's another example of how bad government under Obama has been. He's still the president, still doing damage. We still need to hold him accountable and his aides accountable. You know, this has not gotten the coverage that it deserves, but I think it embodies this deep dishonesty and cynicism that is, the core of the Obama administration. They have a guy that works there by the name of Ben Rhodes. He's a deputy national security advisor for strategic communications, former speechwriter for the anointed one. He became perhaps the most important foreign policy figure in the Obama White House. Anyway, there was a New York times magazine profile by David Samuels. And we learned that in this profile that Rhodes and by extension, the Obama White House purposefully, used propaganda, lies, misinformation, distortion, especially lies, in order to get the nuclear deal with Iran. And it turns out Ben Rhodes is not only a self-proclaimed liar, he's proud of the fact. And Rhodes argued, well, the Iranian deal was linked to the presidential election of a, quote, moderate by the name of Hassan Rouhani. Well, that was a lie from the beginning because he's not a moderate. We now know from Rhodes the administration's initiative... And their talks with Iran, well, they took place long before the election of Rouhani. Anyway, being called out for his lies, now Rhodes and the administration is in full complete spin mode that the administration confirmed publicly that discrete channels of communication had been open to Iran as early as 2008. But James Rosen, who works with me over at Fox, did a piece for Special Report with Bret Baier. And what they're saying about that is not true either. There's a tape of Rosen asking the then State Department spokesperson, uh, Jen Psaki, whether the administration had, in fact, engaged in secret bilateral talks with Iran, and it was denied. And Rosen also knows how Rhodes misled the public by claiming that under the deal, we would have any place, anytime, anywhere, 24-7 access to Iran's nuclear facilities. That was a lie. The anywhere, anytime access applied only to Iran's declared nuclear sites, not for suspicious ones. What what good is that deal? John Puthoris to the New York Post Post added this. He said the storyline peddled that was that the Iranian deal had been negotiated in a furious round of back and forth in 2014 and 15, with the U.S. getting far better terms out of Iran than it expected due to the flexibility of a newly Elected moderate government in Tehran. Well, Samuel says that was a deliberately misleading narrative. Now, the general terms were actually hammered out in 2012 by the State Department officials like Jack Sullivan and William Burns, rooted in Obama's deep desire from the beginning of his administration to strike a grand deal with the radical mullahs, the number one state sponsors of terror. And the reason all of that was kept hidden from view is that Rhodes and Obama believe well, they're the only sensible thinkers in the country. There's no way to get the right things done other than to spin them. I mean, it's, instead of sober, reasoned public debate, you know, Rhodes tells Samuels, but that's impossible. He admits they could not, if they argued this deal on the merits, they would have lost. So what did they do? In their world, of the ends justifies the means. The only way they could get this done was advance lie after lie after lie and using their minions in the media to get it done, which is kind of like Benghazi. You know, things that emerge from this profile of Rhodes, you know, and how utterly arrogant the president and Rhodes are thinking that they're like the the Kissinger of modern day foreign policy thinkers, despite overseeing one epic disaster like the uh, Civil War in Syria. Anyway, Rhodes and Obama considered Syria to be one of their great achievements. Why? Because we're not involved in that war. Forget the fact that the breakup of Syria is a a cataclysmic human rights disaster. It's led to unprecedented regional instability, the rise of ISIS. No matter. Obama says, well, they've acted superbly. Anyway, back to the New York Times magazine profile. They describe in detail how Rhodes purposefully manipulated a very eager press to get out their narrative and shows how much contempt that Obama and Rhodes have for reporters. I wonder how these reporters are feeling today. In other words, all they did was relay the lies of Rhodes supposedly without knowing there were lies. In other words, useful idiots and Rhodes just laughs at them for being such, you know, stooges in this case. Quote, His lack of conventional real real world experience and kind of normally precedes responsibility for the fate of nations like military or diplomatic service or even a master's degree in international relations rather than creative writing. He's a creative writer. He's in way over his head. Anyway, Tom Ricks, a foreign policy writer. And this is what he says. Rhodes comes off like a real a-hole. This is not a matter of politics. I voted for Obama twice. Nor do I mind Rhodes' contempt for many political reporters, but he comes off like an overweening little schmuck. Those are the words he uses. I expect cynicism in Washington, but it's usually combined with a lot of knowledge and with, you know, say like Henry Kissinger. To be cynical and ignorant and to spin these things into a virtue? Well, anyway, it goes in categorically. You know what they did here? They absolutely lied. And then they mocked the people that they used to lie for them. It's an incredible story. Rhodes comments that, you know, he would leak his talking points to 27-year-olds who literally know nothing. Handpicked Beltway insiders who report on the White House uncritically. He was critical of the Washington foreign policy establishment, which he apparently refers to as the blob. And anyway, so what they did was, and, you know, you tell a lie, you tell it often enough. As extreme as it is, people begin to believe it, don't they? So the whole thing was basically fed a deal that was a fabrication sold to a gullible press corps that regurgitated, to use his words, that everything, every independent analysis on the Iranian deal, quote, was a regurgitation of White House talking points. Quote, we created an echo chamber, he gloated. They were saying things that validated what we had given them to say. Wow. Pretty sick, isn't it? Anyway, let's get to our busy phones here that surprise you? Let's go to Joe as in Erie, PA. What's up, Joe? How's things in Pennsylvania?
8: Things are doing well here. Uh, I've been hearing a lot of talk about how Donald Trump can only get a small section of the base in the general, so he doesn't have a chance. But I live in Pennsylvania. I'm a Democrat, and I'm voting for Trump. And I think there's a lot of Democrats in PA that's going to do the same thing.
7: Well, I, you know, obviously it's in play if you believe these Quinnipiac numbers. I mean, but I don't like the fact – I've never liked the electoral – the the needle that Republicans historically now have to thread if they want to win the White House. They have to win Florida. They have to win Ohio, North Carolina. you got to pick up Virginia. You always have Pennsylvania hanging out there as a possibility, and it never comes in in recent elections. Then you think about Wisconsin and Michigan and some other countries, but you still got to win New Hampshire, and then you got to take Iowa, and then you got to get New Mexico, and then you got to get Colorado, and then you got to pull in the entire South, and it's yeah, it's I, just too hard. I mean, when I you start out as a Democrat with New York, New Jersey, uh, and uh, let's see all these other states, California, you, it's 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 so much easier for a Democrat. Yeah, I, I
8: definitely think that over the past you know, 30 years or so that it's kind of gotten rigged
7: uh, because
8: of certain rhetoric and such. But this year, I mean, we need jobs here in PA. They're killing the coal industry. We got oil and gas going on. And the only thing I'm hearing from either Clinton or, you know, the socialist Sanders was that they want to end it. And, you know, people need a paycheck. So I think they're going to vote for what they think is best for for what's going on right now
7: uh i hope so i hope people have suffered enough if it's a day after election day this year and trump didn't win and we get four more years of obama via hillary you know what people get the government they deserve that's all i can say robert arizona next sean hannity show what's up robert how are you hey sean pleasure to talk to you man thank you for all you do yes sir what's going on brother you
8: know you know, listen, man, I, I can't believe that, that Lindsey Graham and Jeb Bush and other people would just take that stance like Ben Sass. You know, the people are speaking so loud, louder than they've ever spoke, bro, ever. I mean, and, and here are these guys. It shows kind of what they would be like in the office. You know, the people, once again, could speak as loud as they want, but, but Bush wouldn't have done what the people are asking. And neither would Lindsey Graham. I, I think, I the think fact... any of them would. And I, I think they're showing you know, their true
7: colors, man. It's very interesting, you know, because I, I, look, I've even read stories that blame talk radio and Fox. You know what? Fox wasn't responsible. Talk radio is not responsible. The only the people are responsible and people looked at these candidates and I defy anybody to lay out a case and anyone wants to call this show and show me what states any other Republican was going to win besides the the normal states that they must win. I honestly I don't see it for anybody. I see this electoral college extraordinarily difficult to get to 270, which is what a Republican needs to be the next president of the United States. I have looked at it, I have studied it. I've gone I've looked under scenario after scenario after scenario. And what I see is a very very difficult path for any Republican. And the only way I see this happening is if Republicans do a few things differently. That's why I'm pushing a team of rivals, a contract with America. That's why I'm pushing, you know, the things that I think would work. Because Hillary is just Obama four more years, and we can start, you know, we'll start talking about sex the day after uh, uh, Hillary wins, because there's no point, because it's all over. And you know, I'll make this like the Howard Stern light, light edition. All right, you got to buckle up. This is going to be a long six months, but it'll go by very quickly. As I predicted, the entire nominating process, you go to Iowa, then boom, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Super Tuesday, Vegas, et cetera. Boom, 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 boom. Well, Nevada, not Vegas, but Vegas, a big part of Nevada. So now we have some interesting poll numbers out today. You got Donald Trump and Hillary are effectively tied, according to Quinnipiac University in their survey, in the swing states of Florida, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. A lot of this is split along lines of gender, race, and age. And anyway, the numbers are just interesting. It's just a snapshot in Florida... You know how important Florida is. Clinton leads Trump 43-42. Anyway, if you go to the great state of Ohio, registered voters preferred Trump to Clinton 43-39. to And in Pennsylvania, a typically very blue state, Clinton leads by only 1.4342. Here to give us at least some insight in what these numbers mean, we have the pollster John McLaughlin. Sir, how are you? I'm doing very well, and uh, uh, this is a good time for pollsters. That's for sure. So, well, uh, I mean, look, look how wrong they've been this time. Look at Nate Silver; he was the darling of the of uh, you know the the pollster business just four years ago, and four years before that, and he's been so wrong. He said Donald Trump's chances of getting the nomination are pretty close to zero, maybe up to twenty percent, and he's been wrong ever since.
1: Well, you know, it's it's when you come out and you say something is absolute stone and you don't realize things can, can change. And these polls, what they're saying is they can change. And from the beginning, you know, you and I have been talking about this for months. When people were saying Donald Trump couldn't win, I was like, you better watch out because he could win. And when you and I... Were, be doing interviews as much as like, you know, yesterday you were saying, who should win? And I'm like, Trump should win. And and because the reality of this is... Why
7: does Vegas have Hillary at 71% chance to win this presidency?
1: Because they're looking at the polls one-dimensionally. And prior to this, when you were just citing the Quinnipiac poll, which had, uh, uh, which, which had, tr- you know, in effect in Pennsylvania where they have, uh, uh, Trump behind by a point, 43-42, the last poll that was taken in the state was April 20th and that was Maris, NBC Maris, and they had Clinton up 54-39. Big difference between the two polls. And, They're looking at these other polls where prior to Trump securing the nomination, prior to to Cruz dropping out, Kasich dropping out, um, Hillary had a decisive lead. Now you're seeing polls where all of a sudden it's close. And the the difference is because we live in an information age that is driven electronically within hours, let alone a news cycle. I mean, um, we can put things on the Internet and it can take off on social media, on Facebook, et cetera, and you can change an election to some extent within a day i mean you and i talked lots of times when uh when i was helping out bb netanyahu in israel the average israelis on facebook they're there for two hours a day we were sending facebook posts every two hours on election day until the polls closed on 10 o'clock
7: and and you, you, just- you told me the weekend before that he was going to win but you told me don't mention that <laughs> right that's what you said to me right. he said you, you saw a dramatic shift in the polls, but you didn't want people to become complacent, and so you weren't releasing these polls publicly, but you saw that there had been a dramatic shift in that final week leading up to the election.
1: Right, and what we're talking about going from a couple points behind to a couple points ahead in a matter of days, and with most of these polls, that's in the margin of error statistically. For those of us who are statistical scientists, that's you're still in a tie situation. What I find amazing about these polls right now between Hillary and Trump is that, like in the last national poll, the majority of voters are unfavorable to both candidates. And three in 10 voters are unfavorable to both. So, like, what what I'm saying is you have, you know, 60% or so unfavorable to Trump, you have 57, 58% unfavorable to Hillary, of which the people that are going to decide the election don't like either one right now. And what the election's really about is hillary and not hillary the democrat primary is still going on because bernie sanders who's from vermont seventy four years old and you know really an undistinguished senator is really representing the not hillary faction inside the democrat party with the saying we still want this to go on and if it wasn't for the superdelegates and the biggest rig going on where they've got this election rigged even before it starts if they if it wasn't for the superdelegates Bernie Sanders might actually win the nomination, because a lot of Democrats don't want Hillary. The general election is about Hillary and not Hillary. Donald Trump is now the not Hillary candidate. And what he has to do is he has to start playing offense on her, both politically and on policy, not just on the fact that, um, you know, I mean, they've got these personal attacks that she is crooked Hillary, et cetera, like that. I mean, there's you know, it's obvious.
7: Well, I actually think it's been effective because Hillary is playing the gender card. She will try and play the gender card. And I think he is basically throwing a shot across the bow saying, you're not going to get away with it here because I'll fight back just as hard. And I do think there's a whole generation of people that have no idea who Paula Jones is. Well, they may know of Monica Lewinsky, but they don't know Kathleen Willey and Juanita Broderick.
1: No, you're right. And, and, and younger women don't, you know, they're not sitting back and taking this the way you know, older women might have thought, it, it, you know, in their times this wasn't supposed to be talked about. It's sort of like that. younger women are much more, um, in, you know, they, they, they're intolerant of this kind of uh, discrimination against them. So it's a good thing. But, but I want to go back to the point I was going to make to you. If you, say, if you say in a poll right now, what do you like least about Hillary Clinton, no one answer will be dishonest, and she's a liar. On the other hand, when you ask them, do you want to continue the policies of Barack Obama, or do you want to change and move away from the policies of Barack Obama? Fifty-seven to thirty-three in our last national poll, they said they want change, and that hasn't changed all year. So there's a policy. So it's almost size, like, are you better off size. than
7: you were? Are you better off than you were eight years ago before Obama became president? The answer is obviously no.
1: No, they're not better off. They're either going to tell you they're the same or they're worse off. And six out of ten Americans will tell you that we're still in a recession. That's been constant for the last. Well, it's kind of
7: true. I mean, did you see the last quarter was the growth was non-existent at point five percent.
1: Right, but you get you know you get these zero point five percent. Right, you get these economists, and and Wall Street goes up, and the, and they're right. In, income inequality has gone up under Barack Obama. So
7: here's so then look, look, I want to go through this in a in a systematic way. So if we're starting out in the swing states, right. Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Florida, dead even. Right. That tells me that Hillary's vulnerable. I mean, she yeah. does not have her husband's warmth and charm, right. doesn't have Obama's ability to give a speech, oratory skills. She is looked at, I think, even by Democrats as somebody that's a weak candidate. Right. So it's just now a matter of, how, if you're Donald Trump, what do you do now? You've you go got for, six months to get this together.
1: She is right now stuck in a primary still. I mean, until June 7th. Bernie Sanders is. And take it back. The Democrats go until June 14th. Until June 14th, Washington D.C., when they vote, Bernie Sanders is going to give her a challenge every day, and he's going to beat her in a bunch of these states, maybe even California. And what what Trump needs to do is, while well, she has to hug Bernie Sanders and hug Obama, so that so that in effect, she doesn't give her left flank away to them. Trump now can occupy the center. He should go after. He he made a good foreign policy speech. He needs to have a speech on the economy. He needs to have a speech and talk about you know the 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 fact that individual
7: judicial philosophy. Exactly. All of, there's a whole list of things that he could talk. Energy independence. There's a whole list of things he can talk about. I think. I actually think that's a good idea. And, and, and that's Who, what, what about his choice for VP? Right, everyone's and talking about it. And God help us, Bob Corker's name was floated today. <laughs> good grief! Oh yeah, the, the,
1: not on the success of the Iran deal, that's for sure. But the, the but but let's seriously seriously the vice president still thing becomes important. But what I'm saying, what's more important is he needs to define where he stands on these policies and take it to her so he occupies the center. Of the election before she gets to move into the center and say she's really not going to raise taxes or really not going to uh, she's going to strengthen national security, et cetera. So and and the choice for VP becomes a pick that symbolizes that a he's going to be a very serious and successful president. It's not just being serious and acting presidential. It's actually you're going to have the policies that are going to make a difference to change the line. So
7: give me names, the average person.
1: Well, I mean, he says he's going to pick somebody uh... uh... That in effect has political experience, etc., like that. I mean, his uh, the people that he just ran against. We had a great crop of presidential candidates that he actually, you know, beat to get there. You have you you had Rick Perry on your show last night. Rick would be very good. Governor Perry would be very good. John Kasich in Ohio would be very good. Marco Rubio would be very good. And it's, and, and Marco
7: it, Marco took himself out yesterday.
1: Yeah, that's usually the first thing they say when they
7: want to be considered. They probably hadn't <laughs> asked him for
1: papers yet. Um, but but it's like he needs. And, and and as well as Republicans, we, we, we've got you've got women, you've got diversity, you got uh, African Americans, you got Hispanics. I mean you know, if you go through the list he really should pick somebody that he knows is is gonna be a solid choice, that there will be no public attacks on him that would that would reflect fact that he didn't do his job or he didn't do his homework or he's not up for being president. Because the VP pick is like, a lot of people are saying, okay, he's going to pick conservative judges for the Supreme Court. Well, the VP pick is something uh, of a pre- you know precedent to how he'll pick Supreme Court judges, too. So well, he said he's going
7: to release those names before yes. November, a pool of people that he would only choose from for the Supreme Court vacancies.
1: Exactly. So, uh, uh, he, you know, Trump, what, what people like about his style is that he's a strong leader. And in this kind of... In, in this kind of a uh, moment, where he goes between now and the convention, he gets to demonstrate that he's a strong leader who's going to be very serious in his approach to winning. Okay, I've got pin you
7: down now. Give me okay. five names for VP names. Five names: uh,
1: Kasich. Well, the ones I just mentioned: Kasich, Rubio, uh, Perry would be very good. Um, I would also I would also think of Cruz uh, because a lot of times that's how Reagan the united the party. He turned back and he picked Bush. Um, so. So Ted Cruz would also deserve a pick, and uh, um, you know uh, uh, she didn't endorse him. But uh, Nikki Haley down in South Carolina, when she endorsed Rubio, she she would be a very good pick as well. So those are. What five about Newt?
7: I I had a poll up on Hannity.com. Newt won. Newt good won. or bad choice? Uh,
1: you know what? That's a good choice too. And Newt Newt's more of a strategist. I mean, you you always make the point that there was the Reagan Revolution and the Gingrich Revolution. Newt for years planned on how to win the House back, and and in September of '94, I actually delivered a survey to him in the House leadership where he said, we're up seven points on the generic ballot. I've never seen that before. We are going to win the House. And that's where, in front of Bob Michael, he realized he was going to be the next speaker. But he had put that strategy and coalition in the issue. Listen, I remember place. he
7: put out tapes called uh, Renewing American Civilization yep. years before. He was in the planning of, of the Republicans taking back Congress for the first time in 40 years, four years. All right, let me ask this question. What, what about do, a team think- of What about announcing a team of rivals and what about the idea of maybe duplicating promise, you know, Donald Trump's promises to America. I'm going to build the wall. I'm going to pick uh, conservative justices like Scalia and Thomas. I'm going to balance the budget. I'm going to become energy independent. I'm going to eliminate Common Core, give schools, uh, school choices back to the states. You know, 10 items that he promises and says, this is what I will do, and this is my team I'm going to do it with.
1: Yeah, He needs to do that. And I was involved in that Compact for America when they put that together, and basically we were picking issues where it would drive up the Republican vote for Congress. And what you want to do here is go back to that 57 percent that want to change from the policies of obama pick the kind of leaders and the kind of issues that will that will capture that vote so that'll move it up everything you know everything there from uh reducing taxes to uh uh, strengthening national security to his point about the wall in in, uh uh versus mexico that's that's where those votes are and that's what they're going to do and and your points are really good because it helps you it helps you define why he should be the president not Hillary Clinton so it fills in the not Hillary Clinton desire I also think
7: it gives i think by announcing people you see i have a, a team of competent successful people around you and number 2 you tell people exactly what you're going to do and there's no ambiguity about what the agenda is and it kind of takes away the mystery factor that maybe you know, some in the media want to create about Donald Trump, which is unfair and unflattering, but it's part of the political reality. Who's going to win the election?
1: Who's going to win? Trump Trump should win this election. I mean, it's really the not Hillary. The the two thirds of Americans say the country's on the wrong track. The fifty seven percent of the people that want to change from the policies of Obama, those are those are powerful. But he's got numbers.
7: to get. He's got to do things that are right. He's got to get the messaging right, doesn't he?
1: Yes, and he has to do it going into the convention. Don't let the press define you before the convention and don't let that convention be basically uh, uh, allowed to uh, ad lib or float or move in a direction that you don't want it to do. So. He should be able to set it up so that he, he wants to have that agenda in place so that when people leave, you know, the, uh, the delegates leave Cleveland and America stops watching, they know exactly what Donald Trump stands for. And he set an agenda that can he can then run
7: on from then right. until November. John McLaughlin, the pollster, our pollster all throughout the year. Thank you, sir, for being with us. Appreciate it.
4: As a standard, the department does not comment on matters in litigation. However, the department disagrees with the number of assertions made in today's filing and will be responding in court. We will say, however, that this matter was reported in the press back in December 2015. The department has searched for Mr. Pagliano's <coughs> email PST file and has not located one that covers the time period of Secretary Clinton's tenure. To be clear, the department does have records related to Mr. Pagliano. And we are working with Congress and FOIA requesters to provide relevant material. The department has located a PST from Mr. Pagliano's recent work at the department as a contractor, but the files are from after Secretary Clinton left the department. We are continuing to search for Mr. Pagliano's emails, which the department may have otherwise retained. When it comes to FOIA, I think, as you know, the State Department works diligently to produce all responsive records in our possession. The department does acknowledge we must work to improve our systems for record management and retention as part of the ongoing effort. The department is now automatically archiving Secretary Kerry's emails as well as the emails of numerous senior staff.
7: All right, that was a State Department spokesman. I kept telling you, remember the name Brian Pagliano. He's the guy that set up the secret server for Hillary Clinton inside of the mom-and-pop shop bathroom closet. Now, all of a sudden, his emails have gone missing. Now, remember, he pled the fifth. He wouldn't testify. He got immunity. And that name is going to be very pivotal if, in fact, this case goes forward. Now, remember, Loretta Lynch had no problem moving very quickly on North Carolina's bathroom law for transgender people. She said it amounts to state-sponsored discrimination and is focused on uh, a problem that doesn't exist. Well, she moved quickly here. How long is she going to wait? How long will the FBI take to finish this investigation into Hillary Clinton's email server? Anyway, joining us now, Brian Finch. He is the co-chair of the cybersecurity practice at Pillsbury, Winthrop, Shaw, Pittman, and David Kennedy, founder, principal security consultant of the trusted SEC LLC. And he's a white, known as a white hat hacker. To help people out, welcome both of you back to the program.
0: Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. Thank you.
7: All right. And on top of this, Brian Finch, we see that Guccifer, a guy who has no computer training, easily accessed Hillary Clinton's server. On top of all of this, do you think it's possible to lose Brian Pagliano's emails during the period that actually matters when she was secretary of state and set up this uh, email server?
9: Well, you never put anything above the US government in terms of their ability to lose them. They lose track of billions of dollars of equipment on a regular basis, so certainly there's a possibility that some of the emails were lost, but it's it's difficult to believe that over apparently a 4-year period there's no trace of any emails or, and including especially any relevant emails to Secretary of State Clinton's uh personal email setup or even her lack of an email system uh, dot state.gov email address. So one suspects that this will turn out just like it has turned out with every other instance regarding FOIA requests and requests for information regarding emails, that there will be a slow drip of information and that suddenly items will be discovered in a few months, uh, there will be email trails, etc. But I, I view this as simply the first phase of a long leak that uh, will eventually etch the Grand Canyon of digital data, but it may take an equivalent amount of time to get there, uh, talking eons in, in political world.
7: Don't you think by now, and, and I'll ask this of David Kennedy, don't you think by now the FBI has enough information to ascertain whether or not Hillary broke the law?
0: I think based on all of the interviews that they've had in the past, I think that's the case. The, the, the problem is, is that They're trying to piece together a lot of disjointed information from a lot of different systems. You know, you have Hillary's email servers. You have, you know, what was run at the State Department. You have a lot of these different um, areas that they're trying to pull information in and it becomes much harder. One thing to note is that if you listen to what they're actually saying, they're saying that they cannot locate a PST file during the period of time of of when this was all going down. And that, that, that is a clear indicator. PST file is a file that sits on an individual computer um, that somebody would have to back up themselves. And so in this case, it sounds like they didn't have backups um, there to actually be able to retrieve that. And that's why they said they're now doing archiving. So they're actually relying off the individual people to keep those backups, which could have easily been deleted or misplaced or you know, removed if you got a new computer. Um, but so doesn't, it, doesn't it gone. happen
7: too often? Let's be honest here. Doesn't all of this disappearing of emails happen just a little too frequently to believe it's not by design?
0: Based on based on their process of what they do there, um, it, it's not uncommon for it to happen because it seems like it's been kind of a practice that's been okay for, for several years. Um, it sounds like based off of this and, and the amount of attention it's gotten, they're trying to fix a pretty archaic system that they had there of relying off of individual employees to save those emails um, that may be subject to, to question. And I'd you know i be interested to see, you know, if, if those have been intentionally deleted and it impacts the Freedom of Information Act, what does that actually mean from a, from a litigation standpoint? or What does that mean from a, from a um, you know, exposure standpoint? Well, that's just standpoint one of, of just many.
7: Look, yep. not securing the emails in a safe location in and of itself is a violation. It's a felony. Uh, so Absolutely. Hillary can say all she wants. I would be in prison that, right now, Sean.
0: I would be in prison would, right now. I, I, I had a top secret clearance. I worked for the government. If I did the exact same thing that Hillary did, I would be in prison right now.
7: And I'd be in prison as well, Right. I probably have I'd have to, I I would have had the book thrown at me Are you kidding you, you know I'd be in there for the rest of my life it'd be Shawshank yeah. redemption for me the only way I'm getting out is the sewer um Brian uh, let me play for you Sid vicious <laughs> Blumenthal we know that Uma Abedin Hillary's closest aide was interviewed, it was reported last week in the press. Sid Vicious actually did an, an interview on MSNBC and wouldn't comment on whether he was interviewed by the FBI. Here's what he said.
10: I'm going to ask you about the, the Clintons right now, and I guess the first question is, have you been interviewed by the FBI for this uh, email investigation by the FBI? Have you been interviewed? Well, thank you, uh, Chris. Um, uh my feeling about this is that uh I'm as eager as anybody for this to be uh resolved and what I would like uh for this to is is for this to be completely transparent and for uh the Department of Justice to finally issue uh its report i uh, have been yeah. urging transparency. I urged that my deposition before the Benghazi committee be made public uh, the second I walked out uh, I wanted it to be a public hearing and not a private one uh, so I'm in favor of complete transparency in this process and a very quick resolution so that we can see that in my I view I in think in most my people want that. have you been no however have you there. have you been but have you've said have you been interviewed by the FBI yet on this matter well i'm you know, I, I really don't want to talk about an ongoing inquiry right now. You can't say whether you've been interviewed or not. Why no, not? I, well, um, my feeling about it is that let's wait and see uh, at the end and see what happens to everybody involved in it and see what the resolution is. And then I would like to see the Department of Justice issue a very transparent report.
7: You know, it's hilarious about that. I believe in full transparency. I asked for everything to be transparent. Well, were you interviewed by the FBI? Well, my feeling about this is let's wait and see. I mean, that's one of the funniest cuts I've ever had. Now, we know because of the leak by Guccifer that, in fact, uh, uh, Sid Vicious Blumenthal was communicating with Hillary on matters of Benghazi and others. So it sounds to me like he might have been interviewed by the FBI. Brian.
9: He, I, I believe that he probably was interviewed by the FBI or scheduled to be interviewed by the FBI, and there likely are some legal obligations associated with not disclosing that information regarding the interview uh, at, at this time. So he's probably dancing around the fact that uh... he he's been interviewed or is about to be interviewed, and simply isn't uh... being allowed to uh, talk about it at this point. And then, as you correctly note, this is this has been a mantra for the Clinton campaign ever since this uh, situation came to light that they want to be quote as transparent as possible and they want everything to come out etc but it's easy to talk about that when you're not in control of uh any of the information or at least uh, the information you were in control of you think you got rid of so it, it, it's quite easy to demand something that you know is beyond your control
7: yeah what are the odds david that foreign entities and countries in russia and germany and maybe even iran have copies of these emails, all of them, even the ones that she said she deleted.
0: You know, I I wouldn't throw as much weight onto what Gustav says of being able to have un, you know unfettered access to those email servers. Um, but at the same time, you know these these foreign um, governments, you know especially Russia and uh, Iran and China and China are very yeah. capable. A very capable cyber capabilities that actively track um, high politicians of power, um, where they're at, especially from a defense perspective. So, you know, I, I wouldn't, you know, I don't, don't want to speculate on it, but there's a high probability that that you know Hillary was definitely being tracked, or on how she does email, where she does it from, and you know, they have very, very capable um, capabilities that. To, to actively go in and, and perform incursions and intrusions on systems. So I would say it's probably a higher probability that, that occurred, especially if it wasn't um, something that was being done by the military.
7: Yeah. All right. What advice do you have for regular people, the rest of us, in terms of cybersecurity? What do you say, David, to people that just have their average computer?
0: Well, right now we're seeing some of the highest um, amounts and volumes of, of attacks, especially on people um, personally, and, and, and it's revolving a lot around what we call ransomware. There's a lot of organized crime Um, really trying to hold your computer hostage and have you pay um, ransom for that. The the biggest, um, you know, tips that I can give for that is always make sure that you keep um, your system up to date. Um, You know, most of the techniques that these hackers are using to get access to your computer is by using old um, patches that haven't been, you know, vulnerabilities that have already patches associated with them. So keep your computer up to date, but also... Um, be very cautious of what you download um, and, and what you actually go and execute. Make sure that you're going through and what about websites.
7: And what about this whole issue with hacking into an iPhone, which which Apple said they weren't able to do? I mean, is that something people have to worry about also?
0: Well, the the, the phones themselves are less of a front of attack right now. Um, I, Android by far is probably one of the least secure when it comes to protecting the operating system the platform iPhone is does a very good job although as you saw with the um, FBI case they paid a million dollars for an exploit that allowed them access they don't even know what it does Um, but you know so so, you know phone security is definitely something that is a play but it's less attack in your computer so for your your devices make sure for for iPhones that you're always maintaining um, that you're up-to-date for Google if you can buy it directly from Google themselves they have a a line that they call Nexus Um, those are Mm -hmm. updated frequently if you're buying from other ones like HTC and Samsung, you're several months out of date when it comes to security patches, so it does put you at a big, big exposure.
7: Brian, what are your thoughts on both computers, phones, et cetera, and, um, and people's personal information?
9: Well, Sean, uh, we're at the point where it's just like life itself. You, don't, you can't go through life expecting never to catch a cold or getting a scrape on your knee or even maybe breaking a bone. It's the same thing with cybersecurity, if you go through uh, with the expectation that if you take certain steps and certain measures that you'll never suffer an attack, uh, you've already lost because it's just simply inevitable that something will be breached, something will be stolen, the information about you is available in so many different places with varying levels of security that it's it's just simply going to occur. And, it, and remember, some of these intrusions start with the equipment that you buy. You could be buying a router. There was just a Federal Trade Commission uh, case where they were talking about failure to update security regularly in home routers. And there, there are plenty of instances where you buy uh, a computer or a, a phone and it's already got, even if manufactured uh, or issued by the manufacturer, it's got tracking software on it, or rogue countries will implant malicious software into routers or home computers or laptops, etc. So, uh, you know, I think the advice just given w- was very good. You know, be mindful of your passwords, regularly backup, etc. Uh, and and make sure your, your software is up to date. But at the same time, you also want to make sure and look for unusual transactions, unusual behavior on your computer, because that's probably going to be the most indicative that you are going to suffer an attack. And... What does that mean,
7: is, unusual behavior? What does that mean? I don't understand computer
9: that. seems to be uh, all of a sudden your computer comes on at two in the morning and you didn't expect it to do that, or you see that uh, there are emails going out or unusual web activity, you, and your behavior just seems, uh, the computer's behavior just sort of seems odd. Uh, that That's indicative of the fact that the computer may be compromised in some way, shape, or form. You know, it may take a little bit more of an IT expert, but certainly if, all of a sudden, you think your computer is off, but it starts warming up and you didn't expect it to do that. That's indicative that something is, is unusual with that computer at the end of the day. But again, Sean, I really want to point out that I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world if you suffer a, an intrusion on your computer. You just need to know about it. You need to protect yourself and you need to fix it quickly. Just like if you get a scrape, you don't let it fester until it becomes infected. You go to urgent care, or well, you, I thought you just wait for it, it?
7: I, I just thought you waited for the pus and and for it to get gangrene, and then you worry about it, right?
9: Well, it, uh, you know, under Obamacare, allegedly uh, all of that <laughs> is taken care of. But yeah, that, that's, I guess, that's A different segment, Sean.
7: So well, that's about that's about maybe the time if you're with the Veterans Administration, and I'm not joking. The sad <laughs> part is that's true. That you know that's how horribly we treat our vets. But guys, you have great information all the time. Really appreciate it. Uh, on a scale of yeah, one absolutely. to ten, how guilty is Hillary? Brian, uh, if we're talking about
9: the standard of gross negligence with regards to setting up our yeah. uh, server, I'd say a nine and a half to ten.
7: David,
0: I would I would concur with that definitely, and especially with the classified information that was obtained on the system itself. I mean, it definitely put uh, a lot of nations, uh, a lot of our nation's secrets at risk.
7: Unbelievable, guys. Thank you both. Appreciate it.
10: Told uh, Jake Tapper of CNN <clears throat> on uh, April sixth, uh, and I quote: "Under this deal, you will have anywhere, anytime, twenty four seven access as it relates to the nuclear facilities." That Iran has is that a lie? Uh, no, uh, to their nuclear facilities. There is twenty-four-seven access to uh, uh, to Iran's to verify their compliance with the agreement.
0: Twenty-four-seven access, anytime, anywhere,
10: to their nuclear facilities. That's that's the quote you just read me, right? Yes. Sir. Yeah. Can you state categorically that no senior official in this administration has ever lied publicly about any aspect of the Iran nuclear? Yeah. I just want to make sure, I want to give you another run at it because I'm not sure if you misspoke. I said, can you state categorically that no senior official <laughs> in this administration ever lied publicly about any aspect of the deal? There is no evidence that that ever occurred, and what I would encourage you and other critics of the deal to do is to look at the facts and to look at the results. We can verify them now, and the facts are clear.
7: Okay. Um, Last week you called. uh, All right. That was Josh Ernest, Ernest, under fire uh, surrounding one of their top aides, a guy that works in the White House by the name of Rhodes and how Rhodes basically lied about the entire nuclear deal. And this was an expose that was put together by Time magazine, a profile that they put in. Ben Rhodes is his name. He's the deputy national security Advisor. And in the interview, Rhodes was candid about how the administration sought to shape their foreign policy by going out there and lying uh, to the American people using gullible journalists to do it. In other words, that the nuclear deal was a fabrication sold to lazy, gullible press corps. You know, the average reporter we talked to is 27 years old. Their only reporting experience consists of being around political campaigns. They literally know nothing. They go into great detail how they fed the mainstream media all of this information that was false about the deal as a means of, of getting it past the American people, which they knew they would have a hard time doing otherwise. It's called lying. Leslie Marshall, Fox News contributor, host of The Leslie Marshall Show. Kevin Jackson, executive director of The Black Sphere, author of The Big Black Lie. Uh, Leslie, I assume somehow, some way you're going to take what they admit in this Time piece, uh, Time magazine piece, and profile, and somehow tell us, no, it was fine, they didn't lie.
11: Well, quite frankly, we have to look at, was this guy a decision-maker, a policy-maker, or was he a spin-maker? And if he was a spin-maker, then how much of what he is telling is spin? He is the
7: Deputy National Security Advisor, and what he's admitting is they went on a propaganda campaign using willing dupes, dumb people, to basically use their definition, in the media to sell a deal and deal points that were false to the American people because they knew the American people wouldn't support the deal as it really was.
11: But here's the bottom line. Obviously, the American people weren't going to support, quite frankly, any deal with Iran. When you look at the polls, 88% unfavorable idea of So they went Iran and lied. And so you're justifying and you their, their line.
7: There's reason. You're justifying the lie. So it's no, a lie. No, I'm
11: justifying the lie. I'm simply saying that if we lied, if our government lied to our people, then we, you know, we have this mindset that we're alone in this Iran deal. We're not. We're part of an international community. Let me, let me of use... Of the let me dozen use, nations, Have nations, they well, all lied to their people as well.
7: Let's go to the, Let's go to the <laughs> New York Times piece, where he talks about what passed for independent analysis of Iran in the media, quote, was a regurgitation... Of White House talking points, we created an echo chamber. They were saying things that validated what we had given them to say. Well, that sounds like something, I'm not comparing them to Nazis, but that Joseph Goebbels, a propagandist of the worst caliber, would be proud of. What's your reaction, uh, Kevin?
6: Well, I I, I chuckle at Leslie because essentially what she's saying is if other countries lie— then so can we.
11: No, because don't put words in, in my mouth. Well, on, that's not what I, li- what I said. What I said was I find, you know, it's, argument, to me, let and, him, and let uh, him i talk. want to take the grassing knoll
6: with you. But the liberal, the liberal argument is always the United States should be g- going for the greater good. So if we were talking about torture, and, and we said all other countries do it. Leslie would say, well, we should be going for the greater good. But when it comes to lying to the American people, which, by the way, The Republic, the, uh, the Obama administration does readily, whether it's about GDP, whether it's about global climate change, or whether it's about Obamacare, which by the way, Leslie and I debated at a point where she she said Gruber was just some knucklehead that decided to write something about Obamacare when he's an MIT economist. So it's, it's easy to no, say after the fact. These people are vicious liars. Whatever their agenda is, they're willing to propagate no matter what. They don't care that the American people didn't want this, don't want this type of nonsense. Why would we negotiate with, with an evil country That wants to destroy Israel and has nothing in it for us. There's nothing good about this. It it doesn't matter. Kevin, Kevin, obviously,
11: you don't you don't remember history because historically, governments, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, haven't always listened to the American people with regard to foreign policy and decisions and deals that we make with other nations, whether it's with an ally or with a country like Iran. You're getting getting off point now. Debating
7: the merits of the deal is irrelevant to me at this point. The fact is, you have a willing accomplice in the mainstream media and you've got the national director literally for for national security now admitting that he manipulated and lied through the press and had the press regurgitating his talking points which he's kind of bragging about were false because he said the deal wouldn't pass on its own. Now, that to me is propaganda by any stretch of the imagination. And the fact that someone at this high level is admitting that they're lying to the American people to get a deal passed that they otherwise wouldn't have gotten passed by their own admission, you know, that should be a fireable offense. It's almost almost as close to Obama. I'm not finished. It's almost almost as close to Obama saying, if you like your doctor, you keep it. If you like your plan, you keep it. And the average family keeps twenty five hundred dollars on average per family per year. Those were all three huge lies.
8: What does the exactly United like
6: States that, John? From this deal, That's and exactly what the they States did to pass Obamacare is, so Uber we... came out and told vicious lies, and and he actually said exactly the same thing. There's no way we would have passed it on its on its own merit. This is identically what's happened. And what, what Leslie and a lot of the left are going to do is they're going to shock you, this guy. Oh, he's a nobody. He well, It depends on what his role is in government. No, it isn't. He's a high-ranking guy. He knew what was going on.
11: The deal, the reality is without any deal in the international community, Iran would have the ability to blow Israel away sooner. Is that what we want? <laughs>
7: So you give so you give the number one state sponsor of terror, because this is what the deal is. You give the number one state sponsor of terror, now that we've acknowledged they lied and they use propaganda and they use the media as their willing dupes to regurgitate their talking points, now that we know that we were purposely lied to, then we can look at the deal. And the reality of the deal is you give the number one state sponsor of terror $150 billion. You give the number one state sponsor of terror the right to continue to spin their centrifuges. You give them the right to build missiles and partner with missile defense with Russia you give them 24 days notice before inspections not any time any place as Obama originally said and we're not doing the inspection half the time anyway and in some cases they even pick their own inspectors and somehow Leslie's going to convince us that's going to create a safer world because we can now trust the mullahs of Iran are now going to change their ways uh their terrorist supporting ways their state sponsor of terror ways and now they're going to be good people because we gave them money
11: no, not well, at not all. Only, not I only that, Sean, we've got... What, we I got. Sa- what I said was what I was told, and when you look at the deal, is very clear. We haven't stopped. We slowed down immensely. The rate at which they would be able to y- use and enrich, uh, they have a nuclear enrichment to be able to build and obtain a nuclear weapon that is within uh, missile launch striking distance, but they get to build up, Israel. but they
7: get to build missile defense systems that would prevent Israel from taking out their nuclear sites Let, with Russia honest. and Vladimir let's Putin. Wait, was part of the I'm deal. Not
11: worried about they also,
7: they, look, right they also get to build up their conventional weapons force, uh, which means that they get to dominate the region for generations now to come. And somehow you're going to try and convince us this deal that they had to lie to get passed is a good thing for the American people in the Middle East. I'm not buying okay. it, Leslie. You're, you're, you're living in a fantasy land.
11: Well, I'm not living in a fantasy land, because last time I checked, Israel is still there. Last time I checked, Iran has not built, as far as we know, and we have more access than we did in the past. And not just us. We have this idea we're a lone wolf in this, and we're not.
2: That's uh, a reaction, guess, Kevin.
6: As I said, Israel has never stated that it wants to wipe Iran or any other Muslim country off the face of the earth. Muslim countries say that about Israel all the time. The United States, who is supposed to be a friend of Israel, has negotiated a deal that effectively gives Iran essentially the weapons to do exactly what they say. But we're talking about Israel as if they're the only threat. The real threat, the existential threat of uh, of Iran— is very much the united states the missiles they're building if, to get to israel is nothing they have missiles that can get to israel this is a, ultimately a national security issue for the american people and barack obama lying with his with this person that we're talking about Rhodes, has effectively given them that capability and he wants to well,
7: as if we're safe here's one other thing that we know and and thanks to our colleague over at fox james rosen he broke this story at the department of state has uh, removed video of questions that apparently Obama asked on the Iranian nuclear negotiations in order to cover up an alleged deception. Because of the recent articles, that one we're talking about in the New York Times magazine on Ben Rhodes and Obama's uh, deputy national security advisor, well, they decided that they would just get rid of that video, so we didn't have an opportunity to look at it. So the State Department's video of its December second, 2013 press briefing in which he confronted Jen Saki at the time, has itself, with the use of a white flash, been deleted from the State Department's website. But, of course, they didn't lie to us, did they?
11: I honestly, I think, seriously, guys, do you believe there's a guy in a red suit living in an igloo in the North Pole? I'm getting concerned about the two of you. Uh, seriously, I am a realist. I think every government lies to his people. Does that mean it's right? Absolutely not.
7: But they're admitting they lied about the, the most, one of the most important long-term National and world security issues of our time, and they did it because they knew they couldn't get it passed unless they lied. And
11: that's what we're saying this is goes. that our Congress, Republicans and Democrats alike, are so stupid and only have access and knowledge to things that everyone in America does. You really believe there's that level of transparency with a deal like this?
6: Uh, look, it, all, all that's all that's fodder. At the end of the day, we have an administration. Who not only lies about the, the Iran something that's of, of national security for us and obviously for our friends in Israel, but they've lied about everything. This is a pattern with them. It, and whether it's Obamacare, whether it's the GDP, whether it's unemployment numbers, it's all in an effort to pass on a narrative that liberalism is good and Barack Obama's been the best thing Oh, God, no, great. Kevin, you're taking, again, ridiculous. you're taking, that's
11: funny, you took my words today and twisted them and have said things I've never said in the past, uh, re- you know, regarding our debating on TV. Look, th- th- there was never any secret. Of the interest of the United States from the White House in pursuing a nuclear deal with Iran. As a matter of fact,
7: let me give you an the example of the, let me give you an example of the lies.
11: Negotiating with Iran, but they needed to have a regime change, and when President Hassan Rouhani came in because he was more moderate. Okay, but that's but that
7: what you're what you're what you're arguing is part of the lie here. In other words, they're admitting here that they lied in order to get this nuclear deal with Iran. And Rhodes has argued at the time that the deal was linked to the presidential election of the so-called moderate uh, Rouhani, who's not a moderate. In fact, we know from Rhodes that the administration and their initiative at these talks began long before the election of Rouhani. Now they've been called out for these lines, for these lies that they're telling. And they peddled that the Iranian deal had been negotiated in a furious round of back and forth meetings. But that's not true. It all started much earlier than what they say. And in other words, it's kind of like Benghazi. You know, they tell us, oh, uh, Hillary says, oh, it's related to a YouTube video. And they arrest this poor guy who had this YouTube video. Meanwhile, she's emailing her own daughter and the president of Libya and the prime minister of Egypt saying it's a terror attack. Simultaneously telling the American people that it's not a terror attack. How many lies does it take for you to finally admit that they're a bunch of liars? That's the question.
11: Well, I don't find them to be a bunch of liars. I don't think, I think. So like, Hillary frankly,
7: didn't lie about that. She told her daughter, frankly, she lied to her daughter or she lied to the American people? It was a people.
11: terrorist attack. They did believe that at the time and they shouldn't have gone forward with that information. And so, so they lied. Confirmed.
7: So they lied while she was telling her daughter and, and the Egyptian prime minister one thing. She was lying to us. Why don't you just admit it?
11: Well, you know, quite frankly, I've always felt it should have been called a terrorist attack, even if they... even. doesn't even matter. If That's not my question. Did video, Hillary purposely lie? An act of
12: terror.
7: We know at the time she was telling some people it was a terror attack. She was telling us it was not. That's a lie. That is a conscious lie. Why can't you admit I, it? I,
6: I, John, John just, let, me, let me jump in. I'll only jump in because I, I don't feel like I'm getting a chance to say it. Look, it's very simple. if it, 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 if this had happened under Bush or Reagan or anybody else, you and I would be on this t- on your radio show saying this is the wrong thing, it shouldn't have happened. Leslie, if it were one of those people, would be on this radio station saying, on your show, saying the same thing. It should never have happened. He shouldn't have lied. She cannot separate the fact that this government is complicit in lying to the people about matters of national security because it doesn't fit the narrative of the left. If this were a Republican president, she would change her
7: tune instantaneously. They were lying about. with then matters so it's selective moral all outrage. But in our I've got to go with a
11: Ouija board. But that's just not reality.
7: Oh. It's cute. It's a nice little distraction. But we've been lied to on health Benghazi, and now on the Iranian deal. And they admit it and they mock all of their dupes in the media in the process. It's also, it's it's actually sad. It's so funny. All right, let's get to our busy phones. We'll start in South Carolina today. And Shar is with us. Shar, hi. How are you? Glad you called.
12: Hi, Sean. I just have hey, two points on? to make. I, I heard Hillary was uh, – you had said something about Hillary was going to spend millions on negative ads against Donald Trump should he be the candidate. And when that, I heard that, I went crazy. I thought, oh, my gosh, this could be priceless. If Donald Trump turns around and does what he says he does, hits ten times harder, could you imagine the ads he would put out against Hillary? You know, Whitewater, her email, Benghazi—the list goes on. Vince Foster—it just goes on and on and on and on. That would be priceless. It would be
7: priceless. It's funny how uh, uh, Vince Foster, for whatever reason, on on my Twitter timeline um, was making so many, so much of a of a comeback. Look to me, it's really simple. I think Trump is probably the most effective individual I, I think I've ever seen in politics that has an ability to define an opponent. He's starting out with somebody that is really way underwater, with unfavorables, That is, most Americans believe is dishonest and untrustworthy. She has little to none in terms of political skills. She doesn't have the warmth and charm of of her husband, Bill, and she certainly doesn't have the the oratory abilities of of Barack Obama. So she is a flawed candidate. She's flawed in terms of her character. She has no real accomplishments, and in many ways she's beatable. But— The Republican Party has had a tendency over the years when they nominate people to to be the the GOP standard bearer and the the nominee for the party is they're afraid to fight. John McCain would not bring up Reverend Wright. That was a big mistake. And so Barack Obama got a pass. He was asked one time about Bill Ayers. He got a pass. The media is not going to be on Trump's side. I think there are certain things that Trump can do that can that could instill confidence in people, that he's going to govern in a smart, effective way. I would use a team of rivals strategy as part one. I would use a contract with America or promises to America as part two. And I think if he runs on issues and also has the ability to punch back hard when necessary, which it will be, I think he could be an effective candidate. I, look, I don't have a crystal ball. I, I don't know. I, I've spent a lot of time analyzing even during interviews with a lot of the candidates i'd sit there can this person win can this person win remember i've always said that hillary starts out in my mind with 47 percent of the vote it does not surprise me that pennsylvania florida and ohio today it's it's such a close race none of that surprises me i think this is going to be a fight i think the country in many ways demographically and and culturally and politically has shifted leftward that's a bad sign but I do think things have gotten so bad under Obama. This would be an opportunity to pull it back, center right. So we'll have to see what yeah. happens. But at least we're going to have a fight this time. We haven't had a fight the last three elections.
12: Well, another point I'd like to make is you had said that you know all these people in the Republican Party, okay, the uh, are going against Donald Trump. They're saying that they wouldn't vote for him. They couldn't vote for him as a candidate. The Bushes. Paul Paul Ryan on and on. Personally, Sean, I think that's a plus. I think that's an endorsement.
7: I don't think what Paul Ryan did in any way hurts Donald Trump. We're going to see what happens on Thursday when they have their meeting together. I don't see this in any way as hurting him. And and I got to tell you, I go back to some simple basic math and statistics. You know, I don't bring up these numbers every day to to hear myself talk, but When 20% of American families don't have a single member of their family in the labor force, and the CBO points out nearly one in six young men in the U.S. are either jobless or incarcerated. Those are men between the ages of 18 and 34. Uh, We've got major problems. Then you've got the 50 million in poverty, 46 million on food stamps, the 95 million out of the labor force, a doubling of the debt, and all those economic statistics that I bring up every day. So things are not good. People are suffering. We're not better off than we were eight years ago when Obama became president. So therein lies the campaign. Let's run it. Mhm. Thanks, Sean. All right, Sharp. thank you. 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. Sounds like she was in a bird sanctuary, didn't it? Anyway, Bill, Pennsylvania. Bill, hi, how are you? Glad you called. Welcome to the Sean Hannity Show.
2: Thank you, Sean. Uh, yeah, I've had to hold my nose when I voted for McCain and then Romney and Ryan, because I wanted to be a good Republican, and I didn't want Obama to get into office. I convinced my family and friends, especially with Romney, was a hard sell. But I remained a good American. It's time these guys quit whining. Romney didn't have the guts to, to fight it out with, with Obama. It's time to focus and support Trump. They owe the voters of the Republican Party that pinched their nose. They need to give Trump his support.
7: I think think the only thing that Paul Ryan did with him saying he's not ready to endorse and and the other people that said they wouldn't endorse and this group of people that are are actively seeking the possibility of running a third party. All that they have done is reinforce, you know, if you add Trump's numbers together and Cruz's numbers together, you're you're talking about about 85 percent of the voters in the Republican Party this year alone. And they're all saying the same thing. They're sick and tired of the establishment. And all these kind of moves do is just reinforce in people's minds that these guys suck and that that's the reason and it reinforces why they voted the way they did. And if anything, it motivates them to probably work harder for a general election. That's my guess. I I don't have that crystal ball. Anybody that tells you I'm not accepting that this election is a slam dunk either way, I, I can in my own mind run through numerous scenarios in which this could play out. So I'm not taking any vote for granted. I'm not taking any state for granted. And I'm just hopeful that the American people have suffered enough under Obama and that it's going to be enough to wake them up and change course. And I'm also hoping that Donald Trump makes a a number of smart moves in terms of creating a team of rivals and some smart, successful Governors and people that have done great jobs and puts them on as part of his team and chose the American people hey, uh, I'm smart enough to hire the best people because that's what any successful businessman will do anyway, appreciate it. Uh, let's go to Ed is in Colorado. Ed hi, how are you and we're glad you called, sir How are you? I'm good.
2: Hey son, I'm frustrated like you. I put a little contract to America together a contract for America, and I have eight points and I think you could really help the country on the ninth point. But, you know, I've I've listened to you every day, and it's so simple to put this down on paper and have these guys sign it. You know, repeal Obamacare is an obvious one. The penny plan is fantastic. I'd go one step further and have Sarah Palin uh, in charge of all the fraud, all the waste, and all the overlapping of all the government programs out there. We could save probably 40 cents on the dollar. Building the wall... And E-Verify for jobs and entitlement for illegals. Rain in the EPA, that's hurting business. Energy independence with fracking, clean coal and natural gas. And what we don't use, we export. Uh, Get rid of Common Core and leave that up to the local schools. Reform the tax system so seniors and middle income get a tax uh, incentives and some tax breaks and lower the corporate tax rate down to 20% so all the money offshore comes back into our economy, and then repeal all the executive orders that Obama has put together that damage the country. It's so simple, and it's so easy. And, Sean, you're great at exposing the congressmen and senators that won't sign on to this. I think Donald Trump would. I think the establishment won't, and we'll just expose them even more.
7: Listen, you hit every item in my contract. you got to add to that. We've got to take care of our veterans. You've got to build up our nation's military once again. You know, there are a couple of things there that I would add on to. But you are basically describe my conservative solution caucus. I wrote it in 2013. I put it out there in early 2014. Uh, I'll update it, and I will put my version of a contract on my website. Maybe I'll do it this weekend because I think it's that important that we uh, – look, the bottom line is if 60-some-odd percent of people – feel betrayed by the Republican Party. You've got to give them some confidence that you're going to do what you say this time. And the best way to do it, and I think you can then run a national election. Now, you know, rather than threading the needle and you have to get Florida and North Carolina and Virginia and Colorado and New Mexico and and New Hampshire and Iowa and Ohio and, and maybe pick off Wisconsin, Pennsylvania and Michigan, you know, it's such a narrow path that the current The current electoral map for Republicans, maybe if every Republican that's so worried about down ticket impact because of Donald Trump, if they'd run on that same platform, unify the party, come up with ideas to make the country safer and more prosperous, peace and prosperity drive elections, then they could actually win. But there are some people you got to remember, they're sabotaging this from day one. They don't want Donald Trump to do well. They didn't want Ted Cruz to do well. They're angry and they're looking forward to the day after Election Day when they can go on TV and shake their finger in our face and say we should have listened to them. We should have elected another establishment guy in the primary to lose again. Nobody can convince me that any of the 17, 16 that lost to Trump had any better chance than Trump at winning a general election. Uh, You cannot convince me. I don't know who's the most electable, but I do know the process is over. The people have spoken. They deserve to be respected by the Republican Party. And the Republican Party needs to learn a lesson that they caused the insurgency to begin with. And one of the best things they can do is evaluate the role that they played in what happened this year. I don't know if they're going to be that introspective and and self-reflective, but if they're not, then they're heading for a loss. And they'll be pointing fingers at everybody but themselves again when, in fact, it is they who caused this insurgency. It's their failure, their broken promises. So I'd like to keep it simple, stupid, because it's not that complicated. Living within your means and balancing your budget is not that complicated. The penny plan cuts one penny out of every dollar government spends, and you can balance your budget. You you know, you can mandate a balanced budget amendment. You can fight for that. You can build up our nation's military, the one area we wouldn't cut, but you can find other areas where you can cut more. You can take care of our vets as well. You can eliminate Obamacare, create competition portability through health care savings accounts. You can build the wall, reduce the competition for labor in this country, which will increase wages for American workers and let them have a shot at getting jobs in the labor force. You know, similarly, it's going to stop al-Qaeda and and Boko Haram and ISIS from having access to our southern border. It's smart for national security reasons. You know, the second thing is get government, federal government out of education Get rid of Common Core. Send it back to the states. Send everything that you possibly can send back to the states. You know, you can reform Medicare and Social Security because that's a big part of of entitlement spending. That's a big part of it. None of what I'm saying here is that hard. Energy independence will create millions of jobs. It's the lifeblood of the American economy. I don't think any of it is that complicated. Put it down on paper. Get a team of rivals. Run United. Run United and stop dividing, and hopefully make the country a better place. Is that that hard? Anyway, well, Mike, Wisconsin. What, what's up, Mike? How are you, sir? Mikey there.
2: Hey, uh, I, I just want to say I agree with your previous dialogue, but where we have different disagreements at is with the Republican Party. You know, everything you just said sounds great, but the problem is the Republican Party doesn't know how to do that. They've proved that time and time again. All the Republican Party does is nay-say, well, we don't like this. We don't like that. Well, give us some solutions. Well, we don't like this. We don't like that. And that's all it is, over and over and over. It's like a, it's like a carousel. They never get off. So I'm curious to hear from you how exactly is the Republican Party going to fix anything?
7: Well, I just, outlined, I just outlined what I would do. I would get some of those successful governors that took deficits, turned them into surpluses, that govern conservatively, like Rick Perry, like Rick Scott, like Bobby Jindal, like Scott Walker, like John Kasich. Those that went, you know, I met all these guys, Perry and Jindal and and Rick Scott. They always would come to New York. and I'm like, what are you guys doing in the city? We're here to steal jobs and companies from your state and bring them to our state where they're going to have a better business environment. And I used to laugh and they were very successful at it. These guys, you know, went from deficits to surplus, surpluses, high unemployment to low unemployment. You know, last time we had Rick Scott on, he said, oh, yeah, we have about 300000 jobs available right now in Florida. A lot of Americans out of work. If I was out of work and I heard the governor of Florida say that, I'd call his office and say, where are those jobs? I'm moving there. Just like if we got the energy industry up and running, how many more energy jobs would we create? High-paying jobs. Instead, the Saudis manipulate the market to uh, to shut our fracking companies down. We need to stop allowing them to do that to us. This is not hard. It's amazing. It takes forever to get these idiots to get moving in Washington. I will say I share your frustration.